the volume. Oral Sessions is brought to you by FanDuel. It's never been easier to play fantasy on FanDuel. Whether you love basketball, golf, soccer, or any other fantasy sport, there's a contest for every fan. FanDuel, more ways to win. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Oral Sessions with me, Renee Paquette. Renee Paquette. I feel weird saying my own name on here sometimes. I should probably just say oral sessions, but I don't know. Branding. Do we have to do that? Do we care about that? I don't know. Couldn't tell you. Could not tell you. feels good to be back here, though. I, I really enjoy being back in the uh, back in the chair, back on the mic, hanging out, creating more podcasts for everybody. Uh, being out for six weeks, it's weird, like popping your head back up and getting back into the the work game. And it's like kind of a blessing and a curse that I get to do my show from home. So I just have to pop upstairs, take an hour. And, uh, you know, my baby is obviously being tended to by another adult, either my mom or John right now. It happens to be my mom. Um, but yeah, it's, it's weird. You like pop back up and you're like trying to work, but then I can still hear the baby downstairs and it like makes my body react. I'm like, I need to go to her. I have to run. I have to go do things. And just like clearing your head. From like that, like mom fog. We've been in such a little mom baby bubble that you like try to resurface and be a regular person again. And it's hard, man. I really understand like how moms really struggle to like get back to work and try to like get the wheels back in motion. It's definitely not as easy as I thought it was going to be. I feel a little scatterbrained when I'm doing things uh, from time to time, but such is life. And you just got to work out those kinks. You know, you get back to things and you just kind of you figure it out. That's what we do. Um, okay. So joining me today on this episode, as you saw by clicking on this podcast, um, seeing that it is Sammy Zane. He was supposed to be doing, uh, one of my guest host episodes while I was on maternity leave. The timing just never worked out. He is a tough man to track down sometimes. He's busy. He's got things to do. I get it, but I just, I enjoy having him on my show. I've had him on the show before and now he's on again. Uh, and we get into some wacky things. Honestly, I'm not sure that my puny brain completely comprehended everything that that he was talking about. He's a deeper thinker than I am. I'll give him that. That Sami Zayn is a deep thinker. Uh, so let's just get into it. Here he is, Sami Zayn. <laughs> you look stressed, Remy. I am stressed. Do you feel it? I am stressed. I can see that you're a bit like, what am I doing? <laughs> I'm just not pleased with so many things. My lack of preparation. I'm not I'm not feeling what's going on in my hair right now. It looks washed. Uh, I don't think I've washed it in a day or two. Well, then I guess it's <laughs> it was just It was smushed under the hat. <laughs> okay, so I was on maternity leave, but I'm back because I've had my baby. It's been six weeks. I only gave myself six weeks. So as I was doing all of these maternity episodes, I'm having all these. Very, very American of you, might I say. Six weeks, I get know. back to work. No, I will say, I mean, I give, I will give like a little asterisk next to that. That is like, okay, I need like an, a couple hours a week where I just go into this other room in my house. It's not like I have to really go anywhere. No, 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 no. I mean, there's more prep that goes into it. I will say sure. there, there's more work than just hopping on and pressing the button and, and pressing record. I have found that out. Because you're asking me to help you kind of guest host this thing, right? And uh, yes. I was like, oh, there's preparation to this. What am I going to do? do? <laughs> Which is very, very me. And, you know, maybe maybe I'll elaborate that on that a little bit, uh, you know, when we when we really get going. 
of course, talking to Sami Zayn, he was one of the first people that I was like, oh, my God, I would love to have him come on and be a guest host. But in classic Sami Zayn fashion, it took a little while to get the ball rolling on that to really hammer him down to get this <laughs> locked in. So I'm back from maternity leave. So we're kind of doing this together, but the ball's definitely more in your court. This is still your episode of the show. And I'm just here to serve as some sort of conduit to whatever we decide to talk about. But you said you've not prepared. So that actually is fun for me. I like where this is headed. So first of all, when you asked me, I don't even know when you asked me, it must have been four or five months ago as well before you were had given birth because you were saying, hey, once I give birth, I'm going to take some time off and I'm going to have a few guests. Do you want to do it? And I was ecstatic. I thought, oh, my God, how fun does, is, you know, how fun would that be? And then when I thought about that a little bit, I was like, what's that all about? Why, 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 like, what kind of ego do I have that I'm like, oh, yeah, I get to talk about whatever I want. Everyone's going to listen to me just rambling about whatever I want. Yeah. You got your soapbox. You can do whatever you want. Right, right. But I mean, if you pick that apart for even just a, a few seconds, you're like, what, what is that all about? And that's actually what I was kind of wanted this whole podcast to be about, which is when you unpack anything for even more than a few seconds. And you start asking, huh, what's that about? Things get real interesting. This might take us off in like a different tangent, but because I'm in baby mode right now and had a baby, uh, went through all that. As I was preparing to wrap my head around the idea of having a child, I took that back to being like, wait, am I just being like a narcissist that I feel the need to have a replication of myself to try to like have a baby? That wasn't your intention because we talked about this long before you ever we got did. pregnant. Uh, your intention was never, you know what I really need? Another me. Mini me. <laughs> yeah, you never, that wasn't it. In fact, I would say the opposite was true. Yes. You, you were more about, I want to care about someone and something else more than I care about me and my wardrobe. You know, I have so many clothes. I do I'm so sick wardrobe, of buying though. clothes. No, no, you, your, your wardrobe is actually ridiculous. And I the, think you were the upset that clothes, I cut my shirt though. No, I'm not. I'm not. I love it. And I appreciate it that you've, you've fashioned it in your own in your own style. But all I'm getting at is it was the very, very opposite of that. It wasn't narcissistic. You wanted to care for something and be about something bigger than yourself. Yeah, I was over myself. I'm over myself. Yeah. The spotlight is on somebody else. Though I will just add this one note is that um, my baby is John. So it's it's she's John. What do you through mean? And through. Yeah, personality-wise. She looks like John. Well, personality-wise, a little hard to tell. She's a little feisty, so she's got that for me for sure. But she looks like John. You know what I heard not long ago, and I don't know, I don't know, this might be speculative, but apparently it's like a biological evolutionary type thing that babies early on look more like the dad. I mean, think 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 about think about everything we know now that we take as a as a as a, as a given as this is how babies are made and it's one sperm cell and one egg cell and they have two combined and you have genetics and DNA. This is extremely, extremely new information in the scope of human history. Even the idea that it's one father. I mean, we take that as a grant, as a given, but I, I think I, I heard something that, uh, I, you know, I, I don't remember I'm say ancient tribes, but I, I don't remember where, when I, <laughs> where this is deriving from, but they believed like many men, would have intercourse with the woman because they believe that like you're making a cocktail and you're getting the best of all these men. I'd call that a cocktail. Right. And when you think about that, if you didn't know what we know now as a given of genetics and one cell and one egg and all this, you'd be like, Hey, you know, what would make great babies. We take the strongest guy, the fastest guy, 
the tallest guy and we we get them all together and they all do their thing with the woman and then she'll have a super baby. I mean, that's kind of like a, a natural way to think if you didn't know what we already know. You'd want to weed out the weak links. Well, I'm not sure you'd want to. I'm just saying it's, I'm just trying to highlight how we take this thing as common knowledge and we take it like, of course, it's just always how it is, but it's, it's not. So that is why apparently evolutionarily uh, the baby early on looks like the father. So you could tell who the father is. Wow. Right. Isn't that kind of nuts? And I don't know. I don't even know where I got this information, but I just thought, isn't that cool? That's very interesting because, I mean, a lot of times when you look at a baby, it's kind of hard to tell. But I will say as soon as this baby was cut from my womb, the doctor looked at John and was like, here's your baby, sir. This is your kid. (laughs) (laughs) How insulting after the labor you're going through and the pain. I did everything. That no. That is total patriarchal <laughs> BS is what that is. Like you're there bleeding. He won't even look at you in the eye. He's like, sir, probably lighting a cigar, he's, you know, he's sir, ashing come over it here, take over your me. child. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> ashing it over your wounds. That'll seal <laughs> you know? that up nicely. Uh, oh my God. No, you know, she's actually, she's actually a woman and she's pretty cool. Uh, but it was just because the baby looked so much like John when she came out that she was like, here's your paternity test. Right? <laughs> I'm out for revenge. <laughs> Who is this doctor? <laughs> um, okay. So, I mean, we came on here and we didn't really have a plan of what we wanted to talk about, but was there was some wrestling stuff that you wanted to talk about, right? Is this true that you like, we were going to like do a little dissection into some wrestling things or no? What we're kind of talking about now was almost the idea I had for the podcast, which is just, Hey, here are things we take as givens, not just about um, life, but wrestling, because everyone who's listening to this is probably a wrestling fan. That's how they know you. I'm sure you've attracted a few scragglers from other avenues or whatever, but your your notoriety is from the wrestling world. So I'm assuming that a large part of your fan base is uh, our wrestling fans. We all love wrestling. Everything is wrestling. And, And you know what? Wrestling's fascinating. So even if you're not a wrestling fan, I thought it would be really interesting to look at wrestling as this thing that we have this general uh, understanding of what it is, or we kind of take it at face value for what it is. But then when you start to think about it for even a minute and start to dissect things like, why does it work this way? Or what are these storylines about? Or what influences this? Why is it this way? And that's kind of what I wanted to do. But again, I didn't do my homework well enough. <laughs> so I have, so I have just these fragmented. Here. No, I mean, look, I, I have my views on things, but it's also uh, a reflection of how I feel about other things in the world. And wrestling is just an easy way to point to it because wrestling has sort of been my thing, like constant in my life, where I could see, ah, these things that I think about in society and the world, they're also reflected in wrestling. You know what I mean? And just drawing those, just drawing those parallels between the humanities and wrestling and how wrestling uses the humanities, you know, like psychology and uh, sociological uh, norms and things like that. And wrestling plays on all of those. So you have to have an implicit understanding of that stuff in order to do wrestling well. So I just kind of, I'm fascinated by the humanities and by the social sciences. I just thought wrestling, my God, it's such a reflection of, of so many of these things. That, that's a lot of what I wanted to kind of do is just think about some of these things that we see in wrestling a lot and go, where do you think that comes from? Or what, what's that about? Or what does this say about our society? You know, things like that. 
you know, there's that like phrase of like everything is wrestling. I mean, so many things can either be reflected in wrestling or stem from wrestling. I mean, even you touching on like the psychology of the way that wrestling kind of comes together. It always blew my mind how much there was to know about wrestling, like the psychology behind things, the why things work, why things don't work. And this is not like a, you can't just take like a crash course and try to figure that out. It takes years and years and years to really kind of figure out why things work and don't work. And you're constantly having to learn and evolve and like keep your finger on the pulse to figure shit out. And the funny thing is in wrestling, even, even a um, somewhat casual fan will have heard the word psychology and wrestling, but we never, we never seem to connect the very obvious dots of psychology and wrestling and psychology, the actual <laughs> scientific discipline. But that's what it is. It's not wrestling psychology and psychology. It's just psychology. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's how does wrestling prey on what we know about people and, and the human condition? And how do we manipulate that? You know, you have to have a, a basic understanding. Actually, I'd say more than basic, a, a somewhat complex understanding of the human condition in order to manipulate the human condition. And how much harder has that gotten over the years in terms of like fans awareness, how much knowledge is out there for people to know as humans are changing and like our wants and needs are changing. People's uh, attention spans are constantly changing. Like that does, does that make putting together wrestling shows and matches more difficult to evolve from what wrestling matches used to be? I'm sure in some ways, but I'm still talking about just the nuts and bolts you know, I'm just talking about what is wrestling and the, the idea of like a good guy and a bad guy. And here's things that we say are wrong and here's things or, or that are right. And here's things that that make someone virtuous. And here's things that make somebody dastardly. And here are the sort of parameters and the meaning that we ascribe to things because it's all made up. But that's part of the beautiful reflective nature of wrestling is that it's not just wrestling that's all made up. It's all of it. <laughs> I feel like this is like, we need like a, we need like Daniel Bryan on this podcast or like Brian Kendrick. We, <laughs> I feel like it's like. This is what I'm saying about just thinking about something for more than 10 seconds. If you take it at more than face value, like our society, these very complex things and you start to kind of go, what's that about? Like, oh, it's, it's all just kind of made up, <laughs> right? It's all like our taboos uh, evolve with time. There are things that are taboo now that won't be taboo in 20 years or things that were very taboo 20 years ago that are out in the open now. And what are some like examples of those like taboo things? Uh, I don't know. Just off the top of my head, let's say homosexuality, right, has, has changed the way we as a society uh, look at homosexuality now versus 40 years ago. Sure. But, but certainly out in the open and in the world of sports or whatever, you know, it's always been prevalent, but I'm just saying everything's viewed differently and everything's constantly changing because things are constantly changing. You start to realize that the stuff's all kind of made up. And uh, I don't want to say arbitrary because there are obvious reasons why everything ends up the way it is. That's one of the things I was going to discuss is <laughs> <was> like <laughs> uh, that everything is the way it is for a reason. I think that's part of a whole bigger thing that I want to unpack. Sure. And wrestling is a great example of that, right? Because I could say, hey, this matters. And it, we set the parameters. So if we can do that, then you start to realize that, oh, wait, that's kind of how society works is these parameters are set and we're all operating within a very specific framework that are just like, you know, I don't want to say arbitrary. It's not the right word, but 
they're fictive and they're man-made and we choose them and, and the goalposts move over time. I think part of what's colored my perception of this kind of stuff is that if I go back to my upbringing from a very young age, being Arab and Muslim and being brought up in an extremely Arab, extremely Muslim household, and then also being this white looking redheaded kid, you know, for all intents and purposes, just raised in, in, in the Western world and kind of adopting to these two totally different sets of values and norms and different taboos and different things makes you aware very early on, not on a conscious level that you could articulate because you're not there yet, but you have this sort of implicit understanding that, oh, certain people do things this way. And then other people in other places in the world do things that way. So when you already start to kind of understand that, again, not in a way that you're able to articulate in any sort of smart way when you're seven, but you already have this sort of implicit understanding of it, then you kind of start to see that nothing is necessarily set in stone, that there aren't these hard truths about the way what is right and what is wrong, because something that was right in, let's say, the Canadian Western society would have been considered wrong in in an Arab Islamic society. And I got to kind of dip my toes in both and realize like, oh, it's fine here, but it's not fine here. What's that about? (laughs) You know, and I think that's the underlying, uh, the underlying thing of what I wanted to, to, to kind of unpack today is just what's that about? When you're like applying that to wrestling terms, uh, I mean, there's so many different ways that you can look at that of like why certain things work in, in one promotion or they don't work in another one. Um, some of like the rules of how someone is, I, I guess just even like, like for me entering the wrestling world and learning what some of these like sort of unspoken rules were of like the handshaking and the like wondering if you can change in the locker room, like some of these things that you're just not really aware of when you like, I didn't come from that world and trying to figure those things out at a quick pace so that you're not booted out of everything. Yes. And that's fascinating that you, you think you understand culture because you're a part of this culture, but then you enter this subculture and you're like, Whoa, wait, what? Yeah. There's this world here and there's an entirely different way of functioning. And when you're, when now, when you're an adult and you're entering a new subculture, maybe not everybody, but certainly me and the way my brain works, I kind of look around. I'm like, well, this is all a little silly, isn't it? (laughs) When you, again, it's not, it's not arbitrary because there are historical reasons for everything and why things end up being the way they are. And, you know, if you have a deeper understanding of the, of the wrestling business and its evolution and how protected it was, you kind of start to understand these things and why things are the way they are. But as let's say an outsider, because you were you were a wrestling fan, but then you know you also were a broadcaster, and then eventually, yeah, it was definitely like not a part of like the world of wrestling. Like I was on the outskirts of it, and then I was submerged in the culture of it. And yeah, quickly, like you've got to have like your eyes and your ears open to be like, wait, how does this work? So that yeah, you aren't the person that gets ousted for not knowing what is going on. And even then, you entered WWE, which is a kind of its own other subculture too. There's a culture within that company versus, uh, you know, cultures in different companies or on the independents. But all I'm saying is when you, when you're mindful of this stuff and you don't just take it at face value, it's very interesting. And in a way you kind of have to laugh at it because it's also kind of silly. Well, it's funny because I remember sort of thinking that I thought that it was a bit silly or like, wait, someone's going to act like you guys are not going to like somebody if they don't do one of these things or like how that person's perceived. 
But then after my time being there, if I saw somebody doing one of the things, I'm like, oh my God, this person's doing it. Like you, like you become a little bit more accustomed to how things work when you don't know and you're fully submerged in that world. And I think that's incredible. Think about that, how quickly you could think about the world. Let's take wrestling out of it now for a sec. Wrestling is the backdrop, right? But you entered this, this culture with a way of thinking. But then you kind of get like indoctrinated or assimilated or kind of taught like, no, 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 no. This is how you think. This is how you behave. This is how you do things around here. Maybe at first you're like, what? But then you start to kind of adopt it. And then the next thing you know, you become a product of it. Okay. So think about that in wrestling, but think about that also in the, in the scope of the world and politics and insane wars over human history and how easy, how easy it is to shape the human mind. And that's where, again, wrestling is a reflection for a much bigger thing that fascinates me as like how you can take an ordinary person, fill their head with ideas that are just made up. They're all just ideas. They're not, nothing's tangible, nothing's set in stone. You know, it's all just words in the air. And all of a sudden you can be like, yes, (laughs) death to that person. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it gets extreme and it's all just nothing. (laughs) It's all just nothing. It's all just words and ideas and it's all just made up. Just like wrestling's all made up and the culture within wrestling is all kind of made up. And again, there are things that shape it, but still the the end result is so fascinating to me. Because somebody initially made that up and then people just took it as gospel and then it just kind of grows and it builds and that becomes what the culture of that thing is. Yeah, it's fascinating. Oh my God. Like I'm, I'm actually kind of glad that my brain doesn't work like that because that seems exhausting to think of like all of these different. It's fun too, though. Yeah. So I had this, uh, I had two things in my head that are kind of opposite ideas, but that I kind of subscribe to. It's a little bit of a nurture nature conversation and, uh, and I'll relate them back to wrestling. Cause that, that's the whole point of some of this. So I was watching this Bob Dylan documentaries. Martin Scorsese put out a documentary on, on Netflix a few years ago about uh, Bob Dylan, specifically about a tour he did in the 70s called the Rolling Thunder Review. A couple of things jumped out at me about this that I thought were fascinating. And one was the very beginning. I'm going to paraphrase all this because I don't remember any of it, but it's just, I don't remember the specifics. But you know, I think Scorsese or whoever's directing asks him, you know, what do you remember about the Rolling Thunder review? Because it was really an interesting thing. He got all these musicians and all these poets and he played really small venues. It was a really, really interesting tour. And he starts to answer with this like wishy-washy sort of answer that you would expect out of a Bob Dylan, a poet. And then he cuts himself off and is like, you know what? It was just another tour. I don't even remember. I've been on tour nonstop <laughs> for 40 years. He's not going to remember everything, you know, it might, it might seem iconic to us, but it might just be a drop in the bucket for Bob. Who's been on the, on the, you know, quote unquote, never ending tour. That's what he's known for is he's, he's been on tour forever and he kind of doesn't remember it. So I thought that was real interesting in the idea of, oh, that's also kind of Bobish. is that antagonistic quality to him, which I find interesting. The reason I'm bringing up Bob Dylan, he gets asked about something about like the meaning of life, like just what's something about what's it all about. And he has this answer that I found really interesting where he, he says, life isn't about finding anything. It's about creating. It's about creating yourself and creating things. And I thought that was real interesting because it, it poses, it started bringing up the idea to me about like the authentic self. 
And Bob, in particular, is a real interesting fella in his evolution of his career. If you're a real, if you, you look into it, you know, he starts, he gets a lot of notoriety in the folk scene in New York. And then he becomes like this voice of the generation with his protest music. And he quickly, he has this antagonistic sort of quality to him. So he's like, hey, no, that's not me. And he starts doing something completely different. And then in the late 60s, all of a sudden, he's putting on a cowboy hat and doing like Nashville blues. And then he's a born again Christian. So he's just doing all this sort of stuff. I just, I was reading some interviews with people who knew him early on and they're talking about how he would take things and then he would just make them a part of him. And that got me really thinking as it pertains to wrestling. As a hardened critic now of wrestling, because I've been in it so long, it takes a lot to sort of impress me. I, I, I think what really stands out, what fans really gravitate towards is the idea of authenticity. If somebody plays their character well enough to where there's believability, all of it, the, the very nature of wrestling revolves around believability because we all know it's a show, but you, we want you to trick us. You want to believe. And so I think that's why authenticity is so important in wrestling, because first of all, the work has to be authentic enough to, to make us forget or to make us believe. But then the characters, we have this innate quality. Maybe it's just me because I'm like snooty. And I've been in wrestling so long. Ah, you call that wrestling. Ah, I don't know what. Maybe, maybe that's me now. I don't know. But if there's something that, that I don't find believable in the way somebody's carrying themselves, I'm out. I think a lot of it is attraction to confidence and it takes a lot of confidence to be that authentic person. Right, right. So what is it about us, not just as wrestling fans, but about people that need this sort of authenticity? There is like that, like charisma that's attached to someone that just seems like they don't need to be seeking out what's right or what's wrong. They're, they've already made their decision and they've already, they're like forging their own path, not having to worry about what everyone else is doing. Cause that's all I think most of us want at the end of the day is to have the confidence to just be our authentic selves. But a lot of us are constantly trying to change to please people. The flip side of that, another kind of paraphrase quote here that I kind of remember in Bret Hart's book, the very beginning of the book, he has a quote in there. Again, I'm going to butcher it, but it's something along the lines of life. As you get older, you find life is less about what you learn and more about what you've known all along. That lends itself to the idea that there is this sort of authentic self. Whereas the Bob Dylan example that I'm kind of talking about leads me to kind of think that there is no authentic self. You're just this sort of amalgamation and cocktail of all these. Cause that's what I really, I think I'm, I skew more to that. I don't think there's just you. What are you? What are you? You're not you. You're just, you're, you're just this mix of things that have been filled in your head and the product of the, your environment and all these things. And they shape you. I'm kind of of the opinion that maybe there is no authentic self. I think it's a little bit of both the nature nurture conversation. Like, obviously, I think you are born, you know, with, let's say, predispositions or whatever. But ultimately, it's like a bunch of light switches. And even genetics, we now know, work like this. You're not genetically doomed to have, let's say, breast cancer or something. But you can have a genetic predisposition and external forces of your environment can turn those light switches on and turn those genetics on. You see what I'm saying? So I, I think like everything, I don't think it's one or the other. I think it's a little bit of both. But ultimately, I think that there is no real authentic self when it comes to like, certainly when you talk about wrestling, because wrestling is all just marketing yourself to kind of get over and all this stuff. 
but you have to do it in a way that makes people think that what they're seeing is, is the real you. But there is no real you. Is there? I don't know. Well, I think in those moments that there are, you know, I think like, I think that's like a moment by moment kind of thing. And I, I mean, I don't know how deep into this rabbit hole we want to go, but I think Roman Reigns is a great example of that. Um, I feel like looking at the stuff that he's doing now and how authentic he is, it's connecting with people far more than it was prior. Okay. But like when I say authentic, it's one thing to believe what you're saying, but I'm getting at who you really are before you even become a wrestler. How is that stuff shaped and formed? It's not authentic in that it's like created in your soul. It's stuff that's been added to you. Like you're this bucket and different people have dropped different drops in there. And then, yeah, the end product is this person. And the better you're able to show this side of yourself, but I'm talking about the things behind that, the things that influence that. I don't think those are necessarily authentic in the, in the sense that they originate from within. I'm saying they originate from without. They come from, from the outside world and your experiences and things like that, and they shape you. Roman can act the way he acts because he genuinely is a top guy, and now he's handling himself like the top guy, but he was also put in the position to be a top guy. Right. So it's like this circle. It's this circle that begets itself. When I'm saying authentic self, I'm not talking about uh, that you believe authentically in what you're doing at any given time. I'm saying if you say, hey, where did that come from? Right. We're talking about the core bones Just of somebody of what they're from? born with versus the things. Where did that you get this attitude? Who taught you this attitude? Them, yeah. And all of a sudden you realize it's not it's not mine. It's borrowed. Somebody gave it to me. Or, oh, wait, I stole this. I heard it in a song lyric one time, and I thought, wow, that sounds cool. I want to embody that. So then you become that. You become Bob Dylan. And you might believe it, and you might fool other people, but ultimately you just took something cool and said, like, hey, that's me now. That's me now. What <laughs> is that? Isn't that crazy? That's me now. What a statement. You know, that's a pretty powerful statement when you think about it. That's me. Who is me? It makes you think, right? Then after a little bit more, who is me? What is me? Because like you can't peel away those layers anymore. They're, they're pretty cemented on. I think you kind of can. And it comes from just asking these little questions like, hey, where did that come from? Where did I learn this? You know, it's, it's unraveling. It's unpacking this stuff. And like, like I'm saying, a lot of the way I'm thinking of this whole conversation, I've realized over the years, and maybe I'm misidentifying it, but I believe it comes from the, the sort of dual culture that I was brought up in, right? I think that's kind of the root in some ways for a lot of, a lot of things and, and the, the, the very nature of this conversation, because I've asked myself, hey, where does it come from? Where does this come from? Add a little excitement to your sports watching experience by betting on all the action on FanDuel Sportsbook. There's a reason why FanDuel is America's number one sports book. Their app is simple to use. They've got great odds on all different betting markets, unique, fun bet types like same game parlay and exclusive always on promotions, such as enhanced odds boosts on the biggest events to let you get more action out of every game day. And if you win, they even get you your winnings safely in as little as 24 hours. Some of the many reasons why I love betting on FanDuel Sportsbook 
the range of betting options. There's player props, futures. You can find whatever bet you're looking for as FanDuel has heaps of options. Plus the odds boosts in the specials every day in some big super boosts that happen each weekend. And some of the product features that I absolutely love, the multi-game parlay and the same game parlay ops that you can get a massive payout on a small bet. That's the kind of turnaround I'm looking for. So right now, FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Just place a bet on any game and FanDuel will refund you up to $1,000 back if you don't win on your first bet. There's no strings attached. Just place any bet you want. If you win, you get to keep the cash. If you lose, you'll get your entire bet up to $1,000 back in sight credit. So the volume and FanDuel are boosting the odds on UFC 265 when the black beast Derek Lewis takes on Cyril Gunn to end in either a knockout or TKO. This fight should be insane. I cannot wait for this. So if you've never tried FanDuel Sportsbook, what are you waiting for? Download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started and be sure to sign up with promo code Renee. That's R-E-N-E-E so they know that I sent you. That's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code Renee. Disclaimer, must be 21 plus and present in Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 for Colorado. 1-800-9-WITH-IT for Indiana. 1-800-GAMBLER for New Jersey and Virginia. Or visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. Okay, so where would you draw everything back to for yourself for you to decide, like, I'm going to be a professional wrestler. That's me now. That's the thing that I want to start doing. Now, I mean, now you're asking questions. Nobody knows the answers to like where, where, at what point in your development does something stick and shape your personality completely? And some things happen later in life. So you, you're old enough to remember them, but some might happen so young that you, you, you know, you'll never be able to identify them. But I remember some of my earliest memories are watching WWF and watching Hulk Hogan with my dad. And I don't know, again, this nature nurture thing, I don't know if I naturally gravitated towards it because of the nature of my personality. Is there a nature to my personality? Maybe not. Maybe at a very, very young age, maybe at one or two, I started getting positive reinforcement for behaving in a certain way. And I have no recollection of it. And that maybe skewed my personality into an entertainer type personality. So when I see Hulk Hogan lighting up my screen, you know, I'm drawn to it. And then in school, I'm not paying attention because I'd much rather, you know, get a pop. Love a good pop. I love a good pop. I love to pop the boys. I love popping with the boys. If I see a pop, I want to be in it. You know, I'm just like, I just see guys like the New Day will be laughing. And I just come up like, what are we laughing about? Let me in. (laughs) Let me in. I want to be part of the pop. So, so I love the pop, (laughs) but now we keep going back and we keep going back. I'm like, wait a minute. This was me when I was six or seven. I loved the pop. So the question becomes, was I born loving the pop (laughs) or, or did something happen at a certain point that made me gravitate towards the pop? You know, and it could just be like, I did a funny thing when I was two and my parents laughed and I loved the feeling of that laughter. And, and it, it shaped my personality. Just this, this 
never ending pursuit to make people laugh and make people feel these ways and be part of good times and good energy. So it's a, it's a chicken or the egg type thing or a nature nurture type thing. And that's what, that's what I'm trying to pick apart. You know what I'm saying? No, I do. But it's funny because I mean, I'm thinking of, about that for myself. And, you know, I, I think I also always lived for the pop and didn't know that that was a thing that, that I loved. I didn't even know what a pop was until, you know, 15 years ago or something. But I remember being very little and I don't know if it was like that things were tense around my house because my parents were divorcing or separating or whatever, that I would always find light in a situation and be like, oh, I'll say so. Like I used to do a John Wayne impression when I was really little. That was my go-to gag that I would do a John Wayne impression. Oh man, tough crowd. Better hit him with the John Wayne. Yes. <laughs> You're such a little performer <laughs> just from even then. I don't even know how or why or what, but I did this John Wayne thing and like that would be like a thing that I would like lean on. But anyways, I think that's something that like stems from like wanting to like get like approval or like make things feel okay or. Well, it's also, it sounds like a defense mechanism. It is a defense mechanism. Absolutely. Here's some laughter to deflect. Yes. Yeah. This turned into a a therapy session out of the blue, (laughs) but, (laughs) but all I'm getting at. So, so it's great that we're doing this uh, on our own, you and I right now, apparently are, you know, going, reliving our childhood experiences and trying to get to the root of some of this stuff. And all I'm, all I'm saying, and maybe this took a, a, a weird right turn or maybe a left turn, uh, but the idea behind the idea of, of hosting this podcast was to kind of do this about wrestling. Instead, we ended up doing it about ourselves, but that's fine. <laughs> but, you know. We can only really truly use ourselves as subjects when you're really dissecting stuff that far down, right? Yourself is a great place to start because uh, once you have a better understanding of yourself, then it's easier to see it around you. So I do think the ability to identify things in yourself are, are where everything kind of starts because then you become, otherwise you end up being this super judgy person who just judges <laughs> everybody else, but then doesn't see when they're doing their own stuff, you know? Yeah. Let's not be that guy. We don't want to be that guy. Yeah. And I, you know, I think I've been working on that a lot. I think I was super judgy when I was younger just cause I was probably stupider, but asking these questions about everything and just thinking about anything, about anyone you disagree with or anything you disagree with, just saying, why is that? And then if you think about it for even five seconds, you'll automatically have a lot more empathy or sympathy for for whatever that is. What I'm getting at is it all kind of ties into that idea of understanding where things come from and understanding why things are the way they are and why people are the way they are. I mean, it's still, it's, it's all just very interesting to me, I think. And like, my brain is just like, opening and kind of exploding as we're talking about all this stuff is I'm like, wow, I've not, my brain has just not gone there, but I find it fascinating. And so that's the amazing thing. I, I think there's reasons behind that too, uh, but I just think we're living so much on the surface day to day that we just, we're hovering on the surface and there's this insane D and it's getting deeper and deeper because it's unaddressed, this deep pool beneath us. And we're just living here with like YouTube videos and cats and Instagram likes and stuff like that, living on the surface the whole time. And there's just so much that's, um, that's left unaddressed. And even then I have a whole theory about that. I think that, you know, living in a consumerist society that teaches you to care primarily about these things and to consume and spend money on these things rather than, you know, think about things that actually matter. I think that's kind of by design. I think that's a part of the culture that we live in. I think a lot of that needs to be eradicated. And, and uh, I think everybody needs to do a little introspection, not just with ourselves, but when you start to look in at yourself, you also start to look out at the culture that shapes you, 
right? Because that's another huge split in my life, which has been the dynamic between like, like the individual and the collective. Does the individual, like this expression, what is it? You create the universe, but the universe creates you, right? So it's like you create your own world, but you're also, again, a product of, of the world around you. It's a chicken and the egg still, right? Yes, but it's a bit of both. It's understanding the duality and the dynamic. There's a relationship there. And so this is one of the things about wrestling. So I want to do a whole thing about this one time. My, my favorite chant in wrestling, you deserve it. <laughs> you deserve I'm like, do you, do you deserve anything? You know, the people that are doing the chant are the fans and they're the ones that feel that you deserve that. It's not you starting your own chant. No, but what about believing that chant? I'm like, you know what? I worked hard and I do deserve it. No, no, I don't think so. I think everybody works hard with a few, you know, exceptions. So here's the biggest thing that I think the biggest source of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Malcontent, I don't know. The thing that leaves me in a state of unease is how amazing my life is and the juxtaposition with how awful life is for so many other people and the sorrow that I feel for other people and how I have it so good. And it's not because I deserve it. That's the point. I don't deserve it any more than the next person. I don't. I believe it's just mainly luck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I worked hard, whatever. Everybody works hard. And, and you know what? I'm really great at wrestling. I'm really, really good. Like not everybody is, is this good. And even that, I don't know, you know, whatever. There's a million ways to why I'm good at it or whatever the hell. But a lot of people work hard at a lot of things and don't get the breaks. And I got breaks. And it's time to acknowledge that. <laughs> so don't ever chant, you deserve it at me. I don't want to hear it. I would much rather, uh, you got lucky. <laughs> Please, I hope that chant takes over. Please, for the <laughs> love of God, start chanting, you got lucky to Sami Zayn. Yeah, that's a good chant. When I win the WWE championship, that's what I want. You got super lucky. Not the best <laughs> chant in the world, but you make it work, people. You make it work because that's the truth. Yeah, hard work. Sure, whatever. They go hand in hand. I mean, it's the, you know, the perfect timing and it meets preparation and all that shit. I mean, it's all the same thing, right? But the preparation is part of it. Nobody's discounting that because it's a given. But a lot of people don't do the prep. Who are these people? What are you talking about? I think they exist. I don't think so. I think everybody. I think they exist. I, I think far less than you think. That's my opinion. I think everybody's working pretty hard. Every day just to survive, just to put food on the table. And you're like, yeah, you've got a few people who are like, whatever, I don't care, you know, and barely doing anything. I think that's the minority. I think the majority of people want a good life for themselves, work very hard to try to get things, but just don't get the breaks. Should I call you out now for not prepping for my podcast? Yeah, but here's the thing. I am so good at this <laughs> that I'm able to float by unscathed. <laughs> but you see what I'm saying? Even then, even then. There's so much to unpack there and I would love to continue to unravel it, but my, I can hear my baby crying and I must go tend to her. Let me say one more thing before you do. I'll just tie this one thing to wrestling. Because we haven't done it the whole time I've been trying to. The individual <laughs> effort versus the, 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 the collective effort, right? So you take someone like Roman Reigns, who's a great example. Roman, no one's going to say he's not good. He's awesome, clearly. However, think of how many people it took to get him there. 
And so that's the amazing thing about wrestling that I think about all the time is the duality and the dynamic between the individual and the collective, because it's a very individual mindset of like, I got to get over. I'm the best. I have to believe them. A little bit of that is like WWE conditioning or whatever. Like you got to think like you're the man and you want to be in the top spot in this. It's all through, it's all through a lens of sort of dominance, which is a whole other, I won't even touch all that. My point is just that while we're talking about us, 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 you're relying on the person next to you to get you there. You can be the best. You can be the best promo in the world. Who are you going to cut a promo on if nobody's there to work with you? You know what I'm saying? We need one another to get ahead on an individual level. And, you know, just understanding that dynamic, I think, is important. And again, it's one of those things that's reflected in society and in ourselves, but also you see it in the wrestling business. When we talk about this guy's the best, that guy's the best, you have to understand the totality of the, of the picture. That's all I'm getting at. I actually think that was a beautiful tie up. I like that a lot. Nailed it. <laughs> I do think that that tied it up nicely in, in, in wrestling context of everything that we just kind of delved into. Um, um, okay. So we really went down the rabbit hole on this episode, which I loved. It didn't, it didn't turn out to be a guest host. It was just a talk. It was <laughs> it, a talk. We just had a talk. So we I had psyched a talk, myself but, out needlessly. But it's okay because, I mean, it was it was great. I'm glad that we got to hang out on here and chat because I feel like anytime you and I are on one of these, this could go for hours and hours. Thanks so much for hanging out with me. Always great to see you. You are always welcome on the show. My first repeat customer. Um, just always great to see you. And thanks for taking the time. I appreciate it. Likewise, Renee, a lot of love. And I'm so happy for you and John and the Thank baby. You. And uh, I wish you nothing but the best. Thank you. I'm going to send you lots of pictures. Get ready for that. Yeah, I can't wait. All right, bye. Well, hopefully you guys took some some something away from that episode. I mean, trying to just decode all of these things that Sammy is talking about, the nature versus nurture, which is a conversation I do love to have. Um, and then drawing everything back to wrestling. And it, it was just, it's fun. I enjoy watching his brain work. This is one of the many reasons why I loved hanging out and just hanging with Sammy, whether it be in catering or ringside or whatever during my time in WWE, because you never really know where the conversation is going to go, what you're going to get into, what kind of things he had been thinking about that day or that week and, uh, and getting an earful of it. He's one of my favorite people. I love, uh, I love a good hang with this dude. I miss him. I miss these moments. So I'll just have to keep having him on the show. It's how I, it's how I get my kicks these days. Uh, okay. So you guys can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Renee Paquette. Follow the volume sports at the volume sports, both Instagram and Twitter. Check everything out. And again, subscribe, uh, to my YouTube page, turn on those notifications because we are dropping all sorts of new content on there. I'm pulling the videos from all of these interviews and giving you this full length of, uh, of these hangs that we get to do as, as we all continue to live our life on Zoom. Then we record that and we slap it up on YouTube and call her content. Uh, but yeah, just search Renee Paquette on YouTube. You can find it. Check it all out. All of those videos uh, live up there as we continue to crank them all out. Until next time, this has been Oral Sessions. Oral Sessions.